welcome to episode 55 of the MTG Conflex Cast. My name is John, and I'm joined by my co-host Chris this week. Hey. This week we're going to be talking about the War of the Sparks spoilers, the recent Mythic Invitational, some modern tournaments, SCG Cleveland and GP Calgary, as well as our recent uh, experience doing FNM White Elephant. Uh, but to start things off, we're going to go over our bi-weekly roundup. Chris, what have you been up to? Um, so the past couple weeks, I played Amulet at FNM, went 2-2, two and two, felt really bad. Uh, <laughs> I was complaining how I felt like I was relatively successful with the deck, especially online, doing pretty well. And then I take it to FNM and just get kind of crapped on every time I bring it. And it's very strange. It's as if people at the shop know I play the deck a lot and hate losing to it wow shocking or i'm just bad um <laughs> speaking of bad and uh doing well at online uh i had a pretty impressive streak where i believe i was zero and seven in consecutive matches excellent yeah i uh i won one round of a, of a league is it possible to learn such power it was the mirror and <laughs> my opponent Played a turn one scout off of a what do you call it? crumbling vestige, and then didn't have any colored mana for the next two turns, and then scooped the match. <laughs> the match. Game on. Just we're we're done. I wow. I don't I don't feel like playing anymore. That was your one win. And then I lost to literally everything else that I played against. I o four the rest of that league. I o three the next league. And I said, wow. Maybe, maybe the, the mighty have fallen. Maybe, maybe the deck isn't as good anymore. Maybe people are prepared. Because God, I played the mirror like twice in those, what ten rounds or whatever. It was kind of gross. My opponent netted on me both times the second time I played it. Maybe you're just bad, Chris. He just had double amulet <laughs> kills me on turn three both games. I'm like, yeah, I mean that's pretty cool. Actually, he could have killed me on turn two, but he just decided that he didn't feel like actually killing me. And he didn't have the combo lands in his hand because he just, like, fetched them when he attacked me next turn. I was very confused. But, uh... Just had to, you know, just had to flex on you a little bit. Yeah, assert dominance. He, like, didn't even get a ghost score. He just, like, totally, like, whatever. Like, it probably doesn't matter what I do. I can spare a right. turn. <laughs> um... After I went 3 I didn't even drop a league. Because by God, I paid for that league. I'm going to get my value one way or another. So I put the last two rounds <laughs> and just like GG easy 2 0 the last two rounds, which, you know, means nothing. But um, <laughs> it made you feel better. <laughs> beating Burn and Dredge felt real nice. Speaking of Dredge, um, it was one of the only decks I, I was able to defeat when we played our White Elephant, FNM. Yeah, should we give some background on that, I guess? Or do we want to talk about this as, like, a separate section? I'll, I'll just get into it now, whatever. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so a couple weeks ago, John here said uh, it'd be a really great idea if we all brought some relatively heinous pile and all, like, traded decks, and we're all just playing someone else's pet deck or garbage deck or whatever, and it'll be it'll be great. Um, I think I think you specifically said that someone was going to be in the situation of I'm straight up having a bad time right now. <laughs> yeah, I'm sure I'm not having a good time. And, I, and we all we all thought it would be um, Mike, and he just refused to participate. 
for this very reason. Yeah, we had five out of the eight people participate, not including Mike. Uh, yeah, we had people... some people who wanted to participate that, that it didn't end up making it that night, which was kind of a bummer. Yeah, so the field dropped from eight people to five, which was still like not that big of a deal because it's you know we're swapping stuff around Robin, so it's not like anyone got left out, but still a bummer to like not have a larger share of the meta be like bad shit insane. Jake, yeah. <laughs> so I ended up with what John had brought. Which was the all-powerful deck from 2017. Uh, run 2017. That deck's, from, that deck's from 2012 or something. <laughs> that deck is ancient. <laughs> Fine, yeah, even older than that. Good, good God. I mean, it has roast in it, so it can't be that old. <laughs> well, I updated it. <laughs> I put a lot of work into this list, Chris. Yeah, it really showed. <laughs> For those of you who don't know what Eternal Command is. It's a bad deck. It's not the best. So I I enjoyed how John was giving me shit about how Modern Green Devotion was a garbage deck and not, not a real deck and not even good enough to bring to the White Elephant Party, which is why I played it like three weeks ago or whatever in 4 owed. <laughs> um, which is what I had brought to the, the, the deck exchange. Mostly because I was too lazy to put um, Just Guys Hennessy Phoenix together. <laughs> which is a shame to be honest <laughs> but anyway yeah so regular shoulder command is a deck that utilizes aether vial eternal witness and cryptic command so you could do cryptic command uh to counter something probably drawing a card then you get to vial in your eternal witness getting back your cryptic command and from then on out your cryptic command now says counter target spell return your eternal witness to your hand which you can then vial in to rebuy your cryptic command it's like a soft lock that you gets can... blown out really hard by literally any removal spell in the game. <laughs> it turns off their combat step or one spell a turn for the rest of the game if it's if it's uh, allowed to. Uh, or it's four do mana. Thing. Draw a card. You know, it's yeah, it's man. whatever you need to be. <laughs> um, I literally never got to do the thing. Like ever, <laughs> like I, I eternal witnessed back stuff, but I never got to vial it in to rebuy my cryptic and then counter or tap bounce my ewit. Never, never happened. Um, as it turns out, uh, your deck that is God, like every game I lost was the deck just having shitty mana. I mean, it's trying to cast uh, Cryptic Command and Eternal Witness, which is a little hard on the mana. And then you also want, like, Bolt Turn 1, so you need a lot of red, too. And you're also playing, like, Scavenging Ooze, which wants a lot of green mana. Mm -hmm. So the deck has 20 lands in it, and it had, what, two? Was it two main deck? Tireless Trackers? Yeah, man. Like, God, like, I'm gonna play this, like, Landfall dedicated card in my 20 land deck mm. not <laughs> didn't didn't seem so hot and then so like if you're sitting there stuck on two lands and you have so many three drops in your deck because you have eternal witness and tireless trackers and you have these what like two to three copies of cryptic command yeah one vendillion click <laughs> and if you're stuck on two lands your snapcaster mages are atrociously bad as well 
And then as you're stuck on two lands, you proceed to draw Aether Files and you're just you're just like ah like what like how how does this who would who would choose to register this deck at a real event i mean no one in a very long time <laughs> probably so, like, for good reason like games i won felt sweet you know you're like violating a snapcaster mage and doing stuff you're like oh man this is so awesome and then other times I have two lands, and one of them's a forest, and <laughs> I just couldn't do anything. Like, I couldn't cantrip for more lands and hold up a bolt for his stupid creature that's killing me. So it's like, oh, well, I'll just cantrip for the land, I guess, because if I don't hit land, I assume I'm going to die anyway. And like, oh, look, a land, but it's a breeding pool. Well, I guess we have to take damage to hold up this free man. And then your opponent's playing, like, a burn deck and just your remand is atrociously bad and you die and you're sad yeah remand's not as good as it used to be 4x remand is uh is either really good or really bad and it it's bad more often yeah it's it's pretty bad for you so yeah oh then there was also the uh, the game that i lost because i drew nine consecutive lands in the 20 land deck that was impressive. I I lost to Raging Goblin. Two of them. Two Raging Goblins. <laughs> so all I drew that game were like lightning bolts and lands. And as it turns out, lightning bolt does not save you from Raging Goblin. Grenade you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it makes the bolt look pretty silly when they just goblin grenade you in response. Yeah, there's there's just no opportunity for you to not get grenaded and be very sad. Uh, but the jank piles didn't actually play against each other all that much. I think me and John were the only ones who got paired. Mm-hmm. And so, John's deck was, I would say, significantly less trashy than mine. <laughs> yeah, I while think still I not being a a uh, particularly uh, impressive deck. I mean, it's not a tiered deck. I feel like I see this deck showing up at PPTQs occasionally, or used to see it. And... Yeah, I mean, it's a deck that people actually p- choose to play. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Which is more than can be said by like all the other decks that were, were in the, the mix-up. Yeah, before we get into what I played, I guess, what else What else was there? There was um, our two decks, and then there was... Um, Restore Balance. Restore Balance, yeah. Um, you brought Mono Green, yeah. right? And the last deck... Like- Oh, there was a Thopter Sword with deck. Thopter Sword, yeah. And I didn't get to see any of that deck's games. I really want to see the list because that sounds sweet. <laughs> I love Thopter Sword, especially the like non-prison varieties of Thopter Sword, like just the fair ones. So uh, I need to I need to get that list from Alex. See see what he brought to the table. But uh, I ended up with Vizier Combo, the devoted druid plus Vizier of Remedies, make infinite mana. Uh, get a ballista with um Duskwatch recruiter, recruiter and then and ballista for UPP. a million Hadouken. Um, I've literally never played this deck before, <laughs> and I think I own all the cards except for the the vizier and the druid. I think I have like the rest of the deck. Like I think I even have the Duskwatch recruiters like randomly. So kind of funny, but. I'd never played with these cards uh, before. I was like trying to like rehearse to myself how the combo worked, so I like knew how to actually go off in case it happened. 
And this version of the deck had like none of the value package. It was just like very focused on the combo. Um, and so I um, went three and one. Uh, I beat Jund the first round. Um, and it's kind of weird because I haven't I don't play combo decks very much at all really. Um, it's a infect in modern and like dabbling in high tide (laughs) and high tide is like very different type of combo it's like it's a very blue combo right like it's an even more blue combo than like legacy storm to be honest it's just like how many cantrips can i cast one after another (laughs) i mean it's it's like the bluest combo deck yeah um so i haven't really played this type of deck before and so it's kind of like against jund was like well I'm just gonna like flop it on the table and see what happens. And lo and behold, like he just died, didn't have any removal one of the games. And then I lost another game where he had both Liliana's in play, which is very difficult for your like A plus B plus C creature combo deck to deal with, shockingly. Um, And then I managed to pull a third one out. Um, And then I played against humans and. he had a like okay but not great draw game one and i beat him and then game two i was looking at the sideboard i've been provided with and it had like uh two secure the wastes and it had like a cigarda and um i'm not secure the waste i'm sorry um sell the wreckage and a cigarda and um a bunch of the night that like uh night of autumn so you can like blow up an aether vial or gain some life or make a beefy boy to block on the ground. So I was like, I'm going to turn into a control deck. And I just like sighted out the whole combo. I was like, I don't want to like get blown out by like one of the very many reflector mages or um the D sphere with legs that they play now, the Vidalkin. I forgot what it's called. Um and uh, Deputy of Detention. Yes, Deputy of Detention. And I was like, I am a green white combo deck now and um i just got to really kind of like manhandle the board um i like put myself in a situation where he thought i was holding up like a coco into his alpha and like his alpha looked like it could win through basically any coco and so he's like well turn them all sideways and i was like settle the wreckage just take out like i think it's like five or six creatures or something completely reset the board and then i was left with like two path to exiles in hand after that and you know a board and that was like the game basically um that was game two and then i played against infect um and uh i took um i think a game one i comboed him off really fast um and then yeah game one i think i comboed him off really fast and then game no, he comboed me. He he got me game one. Game two, I comboed off on him. He didn't realize that he had to like dismember in response to the vizier. He didn't quite get how the combo worked, and then it was in play. And at that point, dismember just doesn't interact in any meaningful way. Um, like he once you have the them, big die. yeah, he just died and got blown up. And then the third game, I ended up in a really interesting situation where I made a really small mistake and ended up actually costing me the match, which was pretty disappointing. Um, I had like uh land land ghost quarter and i had um a devoted druid in play and a dusk watch recruiter and my opponent has a noble hierarch um 
uh, an Inkmoth Nexus and a Blighted Agent in play, and they I play my Vizier off of one Devoted Druid mana and um, one of my lands, so I have Ghost Quarter land up. And they, in response to the Vizier uh, echoing truth, my Devoted Druid back to my hand, and I just kind of like looked at my hand, which had like two drops in it. And I was like, well, I have, you know, two mana and just kind of like picked up the Devoted Druid. And I realized almost as immediately after I picked it up that I was actually supposed to untap it in response and make an extra mana. Because uh, it wouldn't have died, it still would have gone back to my hand. Um, and I ended up in this really awkward situation where I needed to... I was at uh, six Infect, and so he has guaranteed to Infect in play no matter what I do because he has... Um, noble plus one of his guys or he has the two guys if i like if i kill one if i kill the agent or the noble he just has two damage no matter what two in effect damage so i'm dead to any pump spell on his turn and if i had made an extra mana i could have um left the ghost quarter untapped made a ballista on one shot the blighted agent and then ghost quartered the ink moth nexus while he was tapped out and he would have had no infectors with one card in hand and then I could have replayed the Devoted Druid my following turn, untapped and killed him if he didn't have removal. And instead he had um, uh, some one mana, the Blossoming Defense, I think, in hand. I just died immediately. And just like very small misstep with a deck I'd never played before. But it was like really frustrating that I could have you know won against what seems to be a god-awful matchup. And from talking to other people, they were like, yeah, that's like a really bad matchup for Vizier. So I was like, ah, oh, I could have won the bad matchup and maybe gone 4-0 the first time I ever played the deck. So that was really disappointing. Uh, but then I played against Chris, and it was a mixture of satisfaction and disappointment because um, we had some really lopsided games in favor of the Vizier combo deck. So that was fun because I got to beat Chris, but then it was like disappointing because it was like the deck that I brought got fucking paddled like yeah uh because uh i was stuck on two lands yeah forever and yeah couldn't do anything relevant yeah and then we flipped back and like chris proceeded to just beat me down with vizier <laughs> so the i think the vizier deck took like what four out of five games or something like that that we played all together yeah and the last game was like very silly like, oh, technically who wins because of potential punting and blah 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 but that was off a very poor draw from the vizier side yeah so rug eternal command not so hot vizier combo though uh pretty pretty spicy so that was fun not really my type of deck i don't think i'll be like rushing to finish off the deck and playing it myself anytime soon but it was really nice to have a change of pace i would definitely like to like swap decks around people again Maybe you'll finally get me to play Amulet at FNM, Chris. Uh, <laughs> unlikely. Unlikely. Is that because you're not going to let me the deck or because you don't think I'm actually bold enough to try it? <laughs> Why not both? <laughs> <laughs> going to shuffle your uh, your foils too aggressively for your taste? <laughs> yeah, I think if I brought um, full Amulet to the table, people would be fighting over it. Yeah, probably. Because there's been a lot of um, what you call interest in playing it. Just the deck in general. Mm -hmm. So I'm sure they'd love to have a foiled version for the evening. <laughs> um, yeah, I wanted to play... Uh, Daniel's been playing uh, the... The... Uh, what is it? The Electrodominance Living In deck? Although I think he's already sold that off after having it for like less than two weeks. Yeah, but, typical uh, Daniel stuff. 
Yep, can't you know can't hold a deck down for more than a fortnight. Uh, but uh, I played against him when I was on Phoenix the other week, and um, it was a really fun and interesting match. Having to worry about like instant speed board wipes is uh, always always interesting. Um, so yeah, I played Phoenix I think for like two weeks before this since we've been gone. I finally picked up some Phoenixes, and the deck's been like really good, um, despite me being like very new to the deck. Uh, it's performed very well, and I'm probably gonna go back to it. Uh, this week, unless we end up doing some sort of shenanigans again, go back to my uh, birdie boys and things in the ice because they've been treating me quite well. But uh, Chris, you uh, you're not gonna uh, not gonna have the opportunity of playing something sweet at this week's FNM. Uh, no, I will be going off to a faraway land yet again. <laughs> in roughly the same time zone as Japan, but. A little further south. <laughs> uh, so where I'm going, is, it's going to be uh, since further south. Uh, it's going to be very warm, quite hot and humid and gross and sticky. <laughs> uh, speaking of gross cards, um, we can talk about some spoilers. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, gross cards, huh? Just, is this is our first card gross? I think some of these are are somewhat gross. Yeah, I'd agree with that for sure. We've got some um, some certain players in the standard, and uh, some cards that are likely going to make the jump to modern. Um, what do you think about Teferi Time Reveler, our new three mana Teferi? You think this is going to make it into modern? I think Teferi is somewhat gross. Somewhat gross. I I think the card might be grosser in Legacy than modern Ooh, and legacy right? because the, the, it okay in world of spark as many of you know we have approximately 10 billion planeswalkers going to be printed and a lot of them have a static ability it's kind of like an emblem that they just have already but it goes away with the planeswalkers so it's not like an emblem it's like an enchantment <laughs> i guess that's a better way to put it <laughs> So Teferi, the time reveler, uh, three mana, four loyalty, and his just sitting there on the table ability says each opponent can only cast spells anytime they could cast a sorcery. Seems pretty good. Half of the uh, old five mana Teferi creature's ability, basically. Yeah. That's really good. (laughs) It's quite good. Um, it means that your opponents can never fight anything with counter magic. It, well, they can just literally never cast counter magic. Their options are main phase one and main phase two. <laughs> that is all. So unless there's some kind of you know boring creature deck, they can't do a whole lot at interesting times. And even if they are a boring creature deck, if they have any like protection spells or anything of that nature, nah. Not a thing. Yeah. So getting into his two abilities. Um, plus one is until your next turn, you can cast sorceries as if they had flash. Just sorceries, though, not creatures, which is interesting. I mean, why, why, do, you, why do you even need to play creatures? If you're playing this card where you're going, you don't need creatures. Yeah, basically. It, it is a, a departure from the original five mana Teferi creature, though. He had... Uh, he gave, he granted this to all spells you controlled, I believe, right? 
No, actually, it was only creatures. Is it only uh, creatures? Yeah, That's, I think oh. only your opponents could only cast spells time they could cast sorceries and creatures you owned that were not in play had flash oh that's right yeah because people use that to search up uh emmercool with uh mystical teaching yeah <laughs> that is the thing you could do because it had flash yeah yeah, so in Legacy, you can play this guy plus one, and then like on your opponent's end step or upkeeper, who cares when you do it? You can just ponder. Yeah, man. Delicious. So if you thought that um, Portent miracling on your own upkeep or opponent's upkeep, whatever, was obnoxious, well, <laughs> how about plus one into ponder terminus you during your combat step? Yeah. And they can't even respond to it. Yeah, and they just have to. It just happens. <laughs> they just get terminus, and they feel bad about it. Yeah, could even hard cast the terminus. <laughs> sure, why not? Uh, Sounds pretty good. And, he's and gotta... then he, he even has another ability. Uh, <laughs> it's minus three. Return up to one target artifact, creature, or enchantment to its owner's hand. Then draw a card. Yeah, this card's just got a lot of a lot of utility with its three abilities. Uh, drawing a card on the minus three is just like egregious. I feel like, <laughs> like, not good enough already. Tack that comma draw a card onto the end. Yeah. So I mean, you could just minus two to draw a card. You don't even have to target anything. Yeah. It's up to one. And you've so already it's... you've already one for one, or you've you know you've cantripped while having effectively a uh, an enchantment in play that uh that limits your opponents to their main phases that's pretty solid for three mana i mean it's like an enchantment that's simultaneously more difficult yet easier to remove yeah well it's bounce something too if you've done the minus three right so you've like you've got the enchantment effect you've redrawn a card and you've bounced on the other hand like what a tempo swing yeah and it's three mana yeah you know casual three mana so i uh i want to see this card in like some sort of like fringe deck maybe something other than just a you know a typical blue white control wonder what people could uh could do with this what spicy sorceries you want to be flashing in yeah yeah exactly like thought seize <laughs> you could thought seize your opponent in their draw step in an esper deck Oof. and then you can just snap thought seize them <laughs> yeah because it's not like the next sorcery. It's just sorceries. Yeah. All of the sorceries. Yeah. So, so all those cards, see, you're like, man, I wish this were an instant. Say no more. I guess this makes like board wipes instant speed too. Like you can Supreme Verdict. Yeah, you don't have to. Like why even Supreme Verdict? They can't, ca they can't cast spells. Just Wrath of God them. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> counter spells aren't, aren't real cards anyway. Yeah. So, and then uh, in a control mirror, like... All their counter spells are now just straight up dead. Yeah. That's super brutal. Cryptic command bounce to fairy draw a card <laughs> in my main in phase. The main phase. <laughs> it's not a fight you're very likely to win. And even if you do, like they're gonna okay. resolve that to fairy again next but turn. Just free play because it's three mana. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Draw another card off of it. Blech. Yeah. No, so, that card uh, seems pretty gross. This card seems great, yeah. I think, uh, I think we go on for this one for a while, but I think we can move on to uh, our next one, which is uh, Karn the Great Creator. It's another Planeswalker. There's going to be a lot of these. Uh, four mana, 
the legendary planeswalker karn speaking of uh, gross cards activated abilities of artifacts your opponent's control can't be activated you know you were just talking about legacy this card uh this card seems really good in uh vintage uh Ooh, yeah not not just uh you know it's it's everything it gets it gets mana abilities too activated abilities of artifacts no 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 those moxes don't do anything anymore for you but for me they still do everything i'd like <laughs> uh turns off uh any kind of uh mana rock um what other activated ability artifacts i guess the lantern just gets hosed by this in modern um engineered explosives I engineered guess. explosives yeah it's kind of fringe but still a thing explosives uh, is a pretty commonly played card yeah i guess i'm not sure how much play card we'll see in modern but yeah uh they do not interact favorably for your opponent that's for Another sure Another thing is it's it's four mana and comes into play with five loyalty yeah Karn always has so much loyalty it seems like very loyal and uh his plus one is until your next turn up to one target non-creature artifacts be non-creature artifact becomes an artifact creature with power and toughness equal to its converted mana cost so uh, he does the uh i guess it's the tesseret ability on non-creature artifacts um or did tesseret make them five fives i think tesseret just makes them five fives so this kind it's of like, like the a, opalescence of yeah. artifacts yeah so uh he uh creates uh a creature out of a non-creature artifact and it does not just target your stuff but your opponents as well uh, people are already talking about how they can abuse this ability with uh, cards like Mycosynth Lattice uh, makes everything into an artifact you plus it on your opponent's land it becomes an artifact creature with power and toughness zero and it does the big die and you can also do that with um, liquid metal coating for a one uh, a one shot one at a time you can just start sniping off lands or uh or making or whatever else yeah other things <laughs> into big artifacts perhaps so uh it's got some interesting applications uh when paired uh with other cards as a combo and uh his minus ability makes it quite easy to pull off the combo because his minus two says you may choose an artifact card you own from outside the game or an exile reveal that card and add it to your hand um, so you can get stuff from your sideboard or even perhaps if your opponent has uh, done away with a, uh, a, a ensnaring bridge you can get it right back into hand and play it again so maybe this will see play in, uh, in the you know uh, artifact uh, control decks like lantern or um, war of invention the people yeah, can't seem to prison deck. people can't seem to decide on a name for it because it has like five colors <laughs> um this card seems sweet <laughs> i've already seen the guy that um built the colorless eldrazi stompy list talking about how he wants to play this as like a two of it's a main deck way to go get uh silver bullets from your board like uh damping sphere or uh sorcerer spyglass or uh the aforementioned mycosynth lattice uh, Lattice is a uh, a six drop, I believe, so you can go uh, Karn into that pretty easily. I've heard people talking about this card in Tron as well. Yeah, where you can just play it on turn three and then go fetch up and play like a Trisphere in the same turn. <laughs> yeah, seems pretty pretty obnoxious. 
And then the next turn, you can just wish it again, and that your card still won't be dead, and go get a Michael Synthlotis, and then that's yeah. just off to the races. <laughs> yeah, so I think we're going to grow to hate this card really fast. <laughs> yeah, this is not a card that is uh, going to be played in a fun and interactive style, I feel. <laughs> no, not at all. Uh I think uh, Karn does not have the best track record for that. I guess Karn sign of Urza was the fairest Karn we've seen so far. Uh, but uh, Karn Great Creator is definitely a return to uh, Karn Liberated in terms of um, dumb artifact or colorless bullshit. <laughs> and we'll probably be seeing a lot of them in the near future. So if Karn Liberated is like Karn Father and Karn sign of Urza is like baby Karn, is this like adolescent karn teen karn like angsty teen karn <laughs> yeah uh i don't know <laughs> and then um let's see what else do we have here to talk about i guess we can talk a little bit about another another three mana planeswalker uh we've got an yet another three mana gideon um i think this is uh is this the third three mana Gideon we've seen? I guess that we had a we had a one mana Gideon, a four mana Gideon, of, a of three sorts, mana Gideon, yeah. and then we've got another another three mana Gideon. Uh, Gideon Blackblade for one white white, and he is a little interesting. He is as long as it's your turn, he is always a four four human soldier creature with indestructible that is still a planeswalker, and he has the persistent text of prevent all damage that would be dealt to Gideon Blackblade during your turn. Yeah, so if you can somehow make him a creature during your opponent's turn, he will not prevent the damage. <laughs> that seems ill-advised. Um, and his plus one is up to one other target creature you control gains your choice of Vigilance, Lifelink, or Indestructible until end of turn. So he beats in and helps somebody else get in. Um, it's interesting because this is a Gideon that doesn't actually have to take a turn off to get in. Um, he gets to uh, bring a friend to the party while getting in every turn. Just a little bit of a departure from what we've seen in the past. Usually you kind of had to choose what you wanted to do. If you wanted to uh, make a friend, uh, protect yourself, or just beat in for a bunch of damage, uh, Gideon Blackblade just uh, gets to beat in every turn. And, but uh, um, the plus one does nothing if you don't have any other creatures. No. So on empty board, he's just a 4-4. Four four. Four. <laughs> during, during your turn. Does not block. So... Uh, but he's okay with another creature, can give it Vigilance, so you can attack with two and then have a guy back to uh, body block for him. And uh, should you plus him at least twice, you gain the ability to minus six him and exile target non-land permanent. Um, so obviously a pretty good ability, but a little pricey. Not doing that until, uh, what is it, turn five, six, seven at the earliest, I guess. Right? Four, five, turn six, I guess, right? Yeah, turn six. Yeah. I, I, I feel like this Gideon's a little bit underwhelming. Um, it's very slanted towards being aggressive. Mm -hmm. Probably good in standard. Um, very poor at defense. Mm -hmm. Right, it's not a creature during your opponent's turn. Its abilities don't actually protect itself very well, other than giving the creature vigilance. Yeah. Um, the effects don't last until your next turn, so it's just until the end of the turn, so you can't make an indestructible blocker to hang out. It's very much about the, the beatdown. Yeah. Whereas other Gideons, like Gideon Jurase, 
are um, much better in control yeah. style decks. Get injure like wrangling the board and yeah. this kind of thing. Get injure is a uh, defensive all star. I wish that card uh, still saw some more play. Man, that was uh, Jeskai way back in the day. Landed Gideon Jura, and uh, the game felt like it was coming to an end because he was mighty hard to get through. Made everybody attack him, slap down something in response, and uh, usually your removal kind of cleaned things up from there, and Gideon took over the game. He uh, protects, and he also was a win con at the same time. But uh, Gideon Blackblade just attacks, maybe takes a permanent down with him, it is kind of nice that uh, he doesn't have to take a turn off attacking if, when he minuses, as long as he lives, you don't uh, don't kill him in the process, or you could attack first maybe then minus. But, yeah, uh, I mean, not, not as flexible <laughs> as some of the older ones. But I mean, three mana, right? Um, Gideon of the Trials didn't really um, make a blocker either, although he did help uh, kind of keep something down, so that was nice. Uh, yeah, I think that the thing with um Gideon the Trials, which is kind of weird, is um they could still block with whatever it was, it just wouldn't deal any damage. So mm. <laughs> it didn't he didn't have as good a way to get in, but he is was better at protecting himself and, and you than yeah. this new Gideon for sure. Oh he's quite good at protecting you with his uh his emblem. And <laughs> uh, had to get through him first. But uh but yeah, uh, Gideon Blackblade I think is going to maybe see some play in standard, but I don't know if he'll really make the jump to modern. But I do know a card that is definitely, 100% certainly, making the jump to modern, and that is uh, Liliana's Triumph. One in a black instant. We, you know, we were talking about uh, Diabolic Edict making it to modern in uh, Modern Horizons. Well, we don't even have to wait that long because they have printed a functionally better card it's in War of the Spark. strictly better, isn't it? Yeah. Each opponent. Like, it doesn't target, so it doesn't get beaten by ley line effects. Mm -hmm. And it has additional text in case you happen to control a Liliana. Yeah. Each opponent sacrifices a creature. If you control a Liliana Planeswalker, each opponent also discards a card. So this is uh, the opposite of Liliana's defeat. Uh, it does not punish people from having Liliana, it rewards them. Um, get a nice two for one off of this should you control a Liliana. And generally speaking, when you are playing Liliana Planeswalkers, you are very much in the market for two-for-ones. So uh, I think this card is going to be Gas, 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 and Jund, and uh, similar archetypes that are trying to grind the opponent out. Um, if you've got a Liliana of the Veil in play, or even a uh, even a Liliana Last Hope, you don't really mind so much uh, which creature they sacrifice, because they're probably not going to have any of them by the time you're done. So uh, this just helps clear the board out. Or maybe your uh, your other effects will clear out the... The smaller boys and this one will take care of the uh the big one that might be dodging some removal or those slippery boys mm -hmm. and you get to play uh old maid with your opponent's hand should you control a liliana take one card out of it put it right into the graveyard so uh, this card's just insane um i was pretty hopeful that we would get diabolic edict and i was not expecting like a strict upgrade so that's cool gonna have to uh find some copies of this and get them signed for legacy now though <laughs> <laughs> my uh edicts are obsolete now and, and like diabolic edict it is it is still an instant yeah so uh this card's just great <laughs> this card is bad for boggles indeed <laughs> <laughs> yeah um i don't know how many copies of this will see play in main decks 
it is still untargeted removal, which can be a little awkward in modern where boards can get a little bit wide or have uh, mana dorks uh, laying around Noble Hierarch or um, Birds of Paradise, uh, even uh, even tokens laying around sometimes in a deck like Mardu, uh, making it a little bit hard. Although I guess Mardu doesn't really see much play anymore, but uh, yeah. Yeah, I mean, there's certain decks that have random creatures you don't really care much about laying around. Mm-hmm. They just eat the edicts. I mean, but, ideally, this thing is getting like a thick in the ice that does not have a uh, a bird in play backing it up. Yeah, so I mean, against the Phoenix decks, there, I'm sure there's plenty of windows where they don't have any birds in play. You can sneak in a edict like this, mm-hmm. and tag that thing in the ice. Like, uh, I think Snapcaster Mage is going to be uh, yelling "Get down, Mr. President!" a lot in the near future with this card in the format. Jumping in front of a lily on his triumph while getting some marginal value out of the yard in the process. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, I think this card is just going to see a lot of play. I don't know if it'll necessarily make it into main decks in uh, multiples, but I think it's definitely going to be a uh, a uh, a starter for uh, sideboards and black decks. I think people are going to be definitely looking towards this card. Uh, at least one or two copies and a lot of black deck sideboards just to kind of deal with problems like uh, like boggles and uh, these decks that you know go big with Tarmogoy for Thing in the Ice. Uh, just kind of clear it out for uh, two mana instant speed, maybe get a little bit of value if you're really like through the breach decks. Yeah, exactly. Definitely. So uh, super excited about this one. And uh, we've also got another exciting two mana card. Uh, in completely different colors. Speaking of sort of strict upgrades, yeah, <laughs> we have Dovin's Veto, which is a blue and a white counter target non creature spell. This spell cannot be countered. Seems good. It's basically just an unnegatable negate. <laughs> Super negate. With the downside of costing white and not generic. Yeah. It's uh, it's a shame that Swans can't play this card, because <laughs> uh, Counterflux is usually just a a three mana uh, to cancel uncounterable cancel. This is a uh, uncounterable negate, which is basically what you wanted a lot of the time, anyways. But uh, Swans does not have the luxury of playing white mana, so uh, no dice there. We'll have to stick with our our Counterfluxes, but uh. This is going to be great in the sideboard, and maybe even one copy in the main deck of Blue White X Control decks in Modern. Um, I don't know if it'll see Legacy play. Two mana is steep, yeah, but I, I, I could see Miracles playing a copy. In the it board. might be possible because the non the non counter clause is much more relevant in Legacy. Mm-hmm. I feel, uh, but I don't think Negate's a particularly played card in Legacy. No, all. not at all. I don't know if so, I've ever seen the copy of Negate in Legacy. Two mana might. <laughs> might be too much yeah but i think people are a lot more willing to invest two mana into a card when it has the text this spell can't be countered on it um but uh only getting non-creatures is a little a little sad times though um so i don't know yeah i'm not sure about that one but uh very powerful in modern um another toy for blue white so we've got a, a new teferi a new negate so we're getting some some come-ups here for uh for blue white if they print counterspell in modern horizons uh uh counterspell plus dovin's veto seems quite potent um 
I'll probably play like four counter spells and maybe one Dovin's Veto main deck. I mean, I guess if you think they're going to be pretty printing counter spell, you should uh, pick up your Jace the Mind Sculptures now. Right. Yeah. Maybe I'll finally make the plunge on that, having zero copies to my name. <laughs> I have to trade into them, though. Not really liking that price tag for cash. So maybe it's time to sift through the uh, through the boxes and find some cards I'm willing to part with. <laughs> um. And we've been talking a lot about cards that are going to potentially see play in Legacy, and we've got uh, another card that I think is going to at least be considered for Legacy play. I don't know if this card is going to actually make it into people's decks. I don't think it's going to make it into any main decks, but I think a lot of people are going to be eyeballing it for sideboards. Uh, we've got a Tomic Distinguished Advocist, uh, which is a very strange name that tells you nothing about the card. It's a white white for a legendary human advisor with flying. It is a 2-3, so pretty good rate already. White-white for a 2-3 flyer. It says lands on the battlefield and land cards in graveyards can't be the targets of spells or abilities your opponents control. Your opponents can't play land cards from graveyards. Take that, Crucible of Worlds, I guess. <laughs> and take that, you can't life in the low my lands. <laughs> but uh, I think the real, the real relevant text here is this card... Uh, turns off wasteland and rashadenport um and it turns off uh thespian stage uh no longer can you uh can you copy your dark depths with a thespian stage with tomic and play and he uh ever so neatly dodges uh punishing fire with three toughness and he uh gets in for two in the meanwhile so i think death and taxes is gonna be uh Really giving this a long, hard look uh, in metas where Dark Depths combo is prevalent. Um, we've seen a movement back towards slow and medium depths over turbo depths lately. Lands has kind of waned in popularity, um, but if those decks uh, see a surge in popularity, this will be a nice tool in the toolbox to uh, slot into the sideboard and, and punish people with. Speaking of punish, it also does not die to a single copy of Punishing Fire. Yeah, takes two. So it has that going for it as well. I I think overall it's a very strange card. Like, why does it have three toughness? Why does it fly? Why is he an advisor? Legendary. I, I just I just don't know. I just don't know a story. I guess you can protect it with a with a Caracas, which is nice too. Vials and on two, which is the. Uh, Probably the ideal number for a vial in a lot of games. Yeah, so they can like life in the loam, target three lands, you just vial this bad boy in and just fizzle it. Yeah. Right, it feels pretty good. <laughs> That's pretty gross. <laughs> uh I don't think this will see any play in modern though. I'm not quite sure where you would want this. Um the life from the loam trick isn't really relevant against modern dredge it's just such a small part of their game plan that you don't really want to actually be specifically playing this card to deal with it and um i don't think that uh ghost quarter or field of ruin are that prevalent that people are going to be looking specifically to this card to solve their problems i don't even think like a green white tron deck wants this um to double white is really hard and uh, I think they have more problems of Blood Moon effects than they do with Field of Ruin type effects, so I don't think this really has a, a home in Modern. Um, 
Crucible of Worlds not exactly a predator in the modern format right now. <laughs> or Ramunap Excavator. Yeah. Yeah. I think this card has a a home at least in uh in Legacy. So um we'll move on from Tomic into our last card we're taking a look at here. Uh Neoform. It's a very, very Simic card, Simic to the max, including its casting cost of green and a blue. It is a sorcery, and it has uh, the text as an additional cost to cast the spell, sacrifice a creature. And then you search your library for a creature card with converted mana cost equal to one plus the sacrifice creature's converted mana cost. You put that card onto the battlefield with an additional plus one plus one counter on it, and then shuffle your library. So it's uh, Eldritch Evolution-esque? It's, it's a birthing pod in that it's only plus one, and it has to be equal. cannot be equal or less. But it's an Eldritch Evolution because it's a spell where you're sacking it as additional cost, but it's also not like Eldritch Evolution because it doesn't exile itself. Yeah. It's an interesting card, I think. Um, it might be one of the more playable Simic cards we've seen for Modern. Which is a real shocker. A long time. <laughs> Simic just gets ass, man. Ugh. And I don't really get why they just refuse to print like any reasonable number of playable Simic cards. Yeah, I feel like they've like really painted themselves into a weird corner with that color pairing as kind of the plus one plus one counters matter tribe like why does this card put a, a plus one plus one counter on the creature like is that really relevant text was that like necessary <laughs> like it's nice but it's not it's just uh it's very extra to what the card is conceptually doing right like <laughs> yeah i mean so what before a original ravnica i guess modern cards didn't really have a multicolored cards so the first introduction we had of this color pairing was graft yeah and I feel like that's just kind of where they've been stuck. They had a lot of, uh, in, in like Apocalypse, they had uh, blue-green way back in the day, and they had a lot of kind of like bounce effects in blue-green, which is... Yeah, it was like sapling burst or mutation or something. It was like five yeah. mana bounce something and then make saplings equal to the, like the CMC of the one yeah. bounced. Yeah, bouncing tokens and, and counters have kind of been the, the Simic thing. Although I feel like they've kind of moved away from the bouncing, which is unfortunate. Bounce plus upside is like at least you can get a playable card out of that every now and then, um, but Simic has definitely moved into the uh, the Johnny sphere very heavily since uh, original Ravnica and never really looked back from there. I feel like uh, every set they come out with one or two gold, blue green cards, and they're uh, they're always kind of uh, eyebrow raisers. I feel like <laughs> I feel like they're always just kind of. Um overcosted creatures with semi-interesting abilities that require a lot more 1-1 counters to be relevant. Yeah, what a setup. Remember Hadana's Climb, I think, is probably the most playable one in Standard that we've had in a while, right? And people still struggle to even make that work. I mean, what, they just printed, um, what the hell is it called? The Crisis? Oh yes, I guess that's the best playable Summit card we've seen in a long time. But it doesn't really make the jump to to eternal formats is the problem but it is quite good in standard it's and just a hydra large, yeah the, the big reason why it, it's good is because it has a gas trigger i mean yeah yeah that's really what it is it's a big dumb idiot flyer that draws you cards on cast so even yeah. if it gets 
countered. Yeah, she'll get some value, especially with Esper Esper control being such a, a player in the format right now. It's uh, it's a nice ability to have. But uh, Neoform is uh, is an interesting card. Um, I'm not sure what you can do with this in standard. I'm sure someone will think of some weird combo. Maybe it'll even be good. But in uh, in modern, I don't think this makes the cut. It seems quite slow, and uh, it's not like Eldritch Evolution was seeing much play already. And that card is a little bit more flexible in its casting cost and the fact that it kind of pulls you a little bit higher up of the curve. Uh, Neoform is if you, I guess, I'm not sure what the, the play pattern looks like this. You're not casting this on your one drop, so <laughs> you just get another two drop. Um, Eldritch Evolution at least goes from, you know, a two drop to a, a four drop. So... I don't know. Yeah, I mean, Eldritch Evolution is one of those cards where if it resolves, you should be basically winning the game on the spot. Yeah. Neoform, I'm not quite so certain that's what's going on. Yeah. But, so uh, the reason why like the pod chains were so busted was because you could re reuse it multiple times in the same mm -hmm. turn. Same thing with the Vanifar, right? Yeah. But the this is a one and done. Sure, you can get it back with E-Wit or whatever, but... Yeah, wake it's just a little too slow for for modern. Your right chain now. could be like noble hierarch gets snapcaster, which casts it and gets eternal witness. Just doesn't even get which this back. Gets back your noble hierarch. Yeah, it's just bad. Like I'm sure there's better chains than that, but yeah, I don't know. Uh, so not exactly gonna be a role player, I don't think, but uh a historically powerful ability back when pod was a thing but i think pod just got so much power out of being uh phyrexian mana and repeatable that this just never never is gonna get being two color sorcery so uh yeah unfortunate we've got a lot of other interesting uh planeswalkers um a lot of uncommon ones and some of the rares even that might uh, might see play as onesies and twosies i feel like in in uh, eternal formats yeah, like certain niche decks yeah yeah oh, uh, i think there's a lot of potential for you know cards to kind of sneak sneak into play here um teo the shield mage giving you hex proof and making walls is kind of interesting but he only does it twice um and kashmina like uh gives spells to your opponents cast that target a creature planeswalker uh casting two more so kind of like the uh kira glass spinner effect or not Kira, Frost, Titan, Frost effect. Titan effect, yeah, and then it, it makes wizards uh, that draw, and then draws a card and discards a card for you when you minus it. So that's kind of kind of interesting, and but they're all kind of marginal. So um, wouldn't surprise me to see him show up as uh, onesies here and there, though, just kind of like curve curve fillers that do interesting things. So yeah, I feel like the majority of these, even the rare ones, are just somewhat interesting, but probably just not quite good enough to to be there. Yeah, I think you play them for their static abilities. I think you play them when you want the specific static ability to like you know be relevant in whatever it is your game plan is, and then the uh, the minuses are just kind of gravy from there. You're kind of playing them like enchantments with upside. It's like this demon of Vivian. Like he's a rare. Uh, basically, your creature spells you can cast them as though they had flash. Plus one, one creature gets Vigilance and Reach, which is, I don't know, pretty marginal. Um, yeah. <laughs> but 
like minus two. It's like kind of Oath of Nyssa-ish. You get to look at three cards, exile one face down, the rest on the bottom. And as long as the one you exiled is a creature, you can you can cast it. Yeah, it's kind of nice. It's uh, even after she goes away, you can still use it, which is nice. Yeah, um, it can't get thought seized if it's uh, in, in exile. Yeah. <laughs> and it is face down, so your opponent doesn't know exactly what creature it is. Or if it's a creature at all. Yeah. But um, probably just not quite powerful enough. The fact that they have flash at that point is interesting, too. So it uh, it's kind of uh, reminds me a little bit almost of Morph and, and how it keeps your opponent guessing as to what, what the card could be. You know, they know you have something. They know you can cast at instant speed. So uh, your opponent might have to, you know, be cautious in the combat step. Um, so that's kind of nifty. And for three mana, it's uh, it's a pretty good effect. But the fact that um, if you don't hit a creature, you just yeah do nothing. It takes a long I, I time. I feel like to... the whiff rate's probably higher than you would want it to be. Yeah. And from someone who's played the card Oath of Nyssa. Yeah. It. You want yeah. to play this in a very creature dense deck, but at that point, is is Vivian really the card you want to be playing that isn't a creature? Like you probably have better options um, for your, you know, your non creature, your limited non creature slots are probably going to be something other than this planeswalker. So, like a collected company, perhaps. <laughs> oh, might be sweet in Animar. <laughs> yeah, EDH. <laughs> Yeah, EDH these, these planeswalkers are going to go gangbusters on EDH. I have no doubt. <laughs> um, just for the the decks that are limited on colors, the one and two color decks, uh, they're opening up a lot of options. So that's always nice. Um, but uh, let's not contemplate the uh, ramifications of EDH for too long before we are accused of uh, of favoring EDH again by our listeners. <laughs> no, we would never want that to happen. Mm-hmm. So, on the topic of new and exciting things, moving away from these spoilers, uh, we just had the first Mythic Invitational. This is the uh, headliner event for Digital Magic the Gathering, and um, I'd say by all accounts it was a success. They had uh, record viewership numbers on Twitch TV. I actually tuned into a little bit of it myself, and it was um, shockingly watchable. for someone who hasn't been paying that much attention to standard lately uh, it is very easy to see the cards and what they're doing and the uh, pace of play is uh quite brisk um the single uh single game format um i think could maybe use a little bit of tweaking i think they could actually use that uh that free time to actually bring sideboarding back they were just burning through games even with the slower deck so quickly um taking the ambiguity of you know passing priority back and forth out of the client um really makes it easy to just kind of snap off decisions really quick and so i think they could actually use some of that time to uh, show the sideboarding and give the uh the commentators a, a chance to uh to breathe and elaborate a little bit more on the larger picture of what's going on in the match but how do you feel about best of one as uh as a thing in high level competitive events i think it's terrible <laughs> i think it's the worst <laughs> but uh, when you want to showcase a lot of magic really quickly uh it does do the trick um they were just blitzing through games 
Um, but I think the kind of coin flip nature of, uh, what do they call it? Dual standard or dual deck standard or whatever. Uh, uh, I think rubbed a lot of competitive players the wrong way and took a lot of the skill and strategy out of things and uh, left a lot more to chance than a typical high-level magic tournament would. Um, and uh, I was also very disappointed, as were a lot of people, to see Jerry T knocked out due to a weird uh, edge case rule. So this has actually been a rule for a long time, but it's very rarely relevant, and that is in single elimination tournaments. If you run out of time, uh, the player with the higher life total wins on the spot. Um, I don't know what the next tiebreaker down is if they're at the same life total. I think it's like cards and deck or something. I don't know. There's like, I think, a further tiebreaker down from there. Um, but Jerry T was ahead on board. Uh, they run out of time. He gets a little tapa tapa on the shoulder uh, and uh, <laughs> proceeds to go up to the settings menu and concede the game because uh, he has been told by the uh, by the uh, tournament organizers that he has lost due to time and he has to scoop out of the client. So that was uh, a little heartbreaking to see. But uh, yeah. <laughs> it's just my, I feel like they've been trying these different things to um, lower the variance of the game, right? So with the the creation of the new mulligan rule, like the Vancouver mulligan, right? This was an attempt to eliminate non-games. And when you have best of ones, if you have a non-game, that's... You're just done. Yeah. You're 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 done. You're out. Yeah, they've also been, um, you know, trying... You said, talked about the Vancouver mulligan. They're trying to push it even further with the London mulligan, right? They're trying to limit limit variance and opening hands so yeah it, it does seem weird that they would move away from sideboarding as one of the main ways to reduce variance in the game and just kind of bypass it and i think it was partially due to complexity concerns and also due to time concerns you know sideboarding takes a while and um and it's kind of hard for viewers to understand necessarily um but i think the fact that the games moved so quickly and it was so easy to grok what was going on during the games themselves, I think they have some some time and complexity to spare to bring bring that back in future uh, Mythic Invitational. So hopefully we see a return to more traditional uh, best of three magic. That would be nice. Also, it would mean people have to prepare with a lot less decks. <laughs> Bringing two decks is... Uh, kind of weird i know a lot of the players playing in the event that we're doing podcasts and stuff i was listening to were all kind of complaining about how weird it was to select their decks and figure out the like mind game coin flippiness of game three when you didn't know which deck your opponent was going to play it's like they have an aggro deck and a control deck which one are they going to play how do i position myself against that it just feels less like sideboarding and more like coin flipping so i think moving away from that into something a little bit more granular and fine-tuned is probably preferable for high level competitive play you didn't watch it at all right chris nope <laughs> well uh it was pretty good um i was I, it on arena yes it was on arena it was live on arena so they had the people uh sit at so computers facing each other they had multiple matches going on at the same time they had uh, a main match back at match and then people that were off camera playing out their 
their uh, rounds in the background. So, because I would say, like, there, I, I understand that Wizard seems to be trying to move Magic into the esports scene, but seeing it as an esport, I think is still very strange to me. The whole, like, we're in this stage where the computers are facing one another, and we're, like, do people really watch this stage? Yeah, like, watching these two people clicking their mice facing one I mean, another. They have, like, they have a feed that's kind of like the feed you see at home, but they also can look at the players from afar in real time. So it's like the stream, but slightly better. And there's the the energy of the other spectators, I guess, as stuff happens. You're watching it, you know, with other people as it happens. So that's, I, mean, I guess it's the same way as like other esport events, like League of Legends or um, Starcraft or whatever, mm-hmm. where you're kind of just sitting there. You watch, you see them in their booth or their whatever. Yeah, and you're watching on the on the big screen. I think the main draw to those type of events is actually the other people that are there with you. To be honest, um, the uh, energy and reactions of the crowd are kind of what makes the experience and. Uh, it makes people want to go watch these type of things live. It's uh, you're getting more access than you would, you know, at home, and you're also just getting to uh, experience it in real time as it happens with other people who are interested in watching it as well. Yeah, I, I wonder about the um, how how fun it is for people to go and watch it together, um, because uh, like people who are interested in magic, like me, might might be fun to watch a stream of some event together, whatever. Mm-hmm. But I feel like with the esports scene, it's it's about like you're there and it's hyped up and all that stuff. And at the end of the day, Magic the Gathering is just not a flashy game like StarCraft or League of Legends. It's missing and the I, team aspect, right? Yeah, but I mean, StarCraft is not it's not a team game necessarily. But a lot of the times they're associated with a team, though. Sure, sure, sure. But I, I'm saying like the the gameplay itself is in not as flashy and, mm-hmm. ex- and, and like you know um exciting i guess I, i'd say the inflection so, points when games are won and lost are not as obvious sometimes as they are in other games like in a shooter someone gets shot and dies and like that's the turning point in the game but sometimes in magic it's much more subtle and not as obvious or sometimes you know people forget to attack if there has a rep before playing their second card for the turn or whatever however uh paulo ended up winning that uh that gp because his opponent punted <laughs> so like if we get to see all the information like what's in both players hands and everything i feel like it's just less exciting because the the stuff like the build-up of oh my god like he doesn't know that he has the answer oh but we all know that he has the answer yeah in in games like StarCraft or League of Legends or whatever, there's there's a like more fine-tuned technical skill needed to play these games. There's not a whole lot of microing going on playing Magic the Gathering. Yeah. Especially if the game's auto-tapping for you, right? Like <laughs> there's the the minute things are just not there. And I guess at least in Magic, you can kind of say, like, oh well, you know, you can read their body language and pick up on cues and stuff, but if you're playing arena you don't really have that too much either yeah and so i i just feel like it's much more difficult to have the same impact on quote big plays so what i thought was really interesting from watching the invitational something that really caught my eye was um there was a player named sky bills was her name 
and she was kind of going on a tear through one of the brackets. She was winning a lot of games, and it was really interesting to me because um, her like body language and stuff was really animated compared to like you know people that have been playing Magic Live for a long time. Like you know the whole poker face thing. Like a lot of people that play Magic competitively are like very, very robotic, right? They don't want to have any leaks of information. Um, through their body language or their facial expressions and they're like very stoic when they play and that's actually like really boring as a viewer right because you know they're just they're just there they're not like reacting and they're not happy they're not sad it's like it's, it's very rare to like see like you know visible emotion from a lot of these players because they're trying not to leak stuff to their opponents but um like skybills and some of these other players who were more like streamers you know they're used to being entertainers or they're just the type of person who hasn't like trained themselves to have like that poker face they were way more animated on all the plays and they were like much more interesting and engaging to watch and i like i actually found myself rooting for this player just because she was like visibly excited like by her plays you know what i mean like like as the games unfolded she was like obviously like like happy or sad or like very very animated and like it pulled you in much more as a viewer than like someone who's just sitting there like stone-faced like throwing cards out one after another you know what i mean um and so the strategic element is you know the same as it's always been but the personal element has a lot more of a uh, uh a potential for these types of things and i like that they have the cameras on both players faces all the time unlike you know some of these paper tournaments where it's kind of hard to get a cam on someone's face the whole time and get it lined up right um and when they're playing face to face like that they don't really want to be showing that you know what i mean or they want to be like bming their opponent with like a fist pump after they like you know get them right whereas with the computers between them it's a little bit more like they're kind of like it's less rude i guess to like you know do the fist pump or the the head in the hands or whatever um so it's really interesting um i kind of like that aspect and i imagine that some of these newer players who have less of a history playing paper magic are going to be more crowd favorites than some of the old guard uh players who are you know used to being really reserved as they play magic which i think is going to be interesting because i know watsi is really going to want to promote the fan favorite players um because they're going to pull in the views so i think there might be a bit of a eventual culture clash down the line between um professional magic players we have now and future like uh, arena stars you know very visible to fans saffron olive right ah <laughs> yeah just make sure that guy's mic'd up and uh he's just gonna he's gonna pull in the money <laughs> yeah maybe watsy just needs to give sfo a uh, a special invite to the next uh next invitational uh make sure it's some sort of even weirder format than uh, what they had this time <laughs> like brawl <laughs> penny dreadful penny dreadful yeah oh mythic championship of momir oh my god yeah yeah you want more variants here you go momir basic boom best of one. Oh man let's go first person <laughs> to hit phage set up the pyrotechnics burr, 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 burr. <laughs> turn one man dork gg yeah yeah you win what a terrible idea <laughs> but uh in more traditional magic terms, uh, we've had um, a pair of uh, modern premiere events or premiere-ish events. We've had a, a SCG modern open and we had a GP. And um, we see some interesting decks doing well at these events. Uh, more recently, we just had SCG Cleveland where uh, Chris, I'm 
pleased to uh, inform you, Amulet Titan took first place. Uh, yes, although it was not the talk of the, the tournament. No. Although what was talk of the tournament was the fact that the uh, Amulet player apparently was caught at least three times on camera playing additional lands. So I've uh, <laughs> been hearing a lot of muttering about that uh, in the background uh, the last few days. People are not exactly pleased um, to see someone... Uh, I won't say cheating, but at least making uh, the same mistake frequently enough on camera. Like playing to explores? Yeah, you know. we've Not like we've had problems with uh, this type of problem before, but uh, good to see Emulet win. Uh, but I think the talk of the town, like you alluded to, is the second place deck uh, in uh, Esper Control. Uh, oh yeah. Uh, Zach Allen in second with a, a spicy pile here with... Uh, three esper charms in his esper control deck and a uh a kaya or zav usurper um people have been talking about this card uh sam black was a champion of this card and uh in esper and he was uh i think kind of leading um the forefront of this push towards esper uh he was talking about it a lot recently and um he won um some sort of event with the deck or did, did a deep run uh i think i had an iq or something when he was testing for the uh for the recent gp um but uh zach allen took it to a second place finish uh quite a planeswalker heavy build with two jace the mind sculptor three teferis and one kaya um three main deck nihil spell bomb a huge concession to uh phoenix and dredge i feel like uh also uh makes your kyle ult do more damage yeah it's interesting i think uh, i think the format is is uh definitely warped in favor of these graveyard decks at this point um, i'm not necessarily sure if either of them is a problem by themselves but together i think they are definitely slanting the format into a place where main deck cards like nihil spellbomb have a lot of uh a lot of efficacy um and uh, just the removal package in this deck is interesting. And you've got to cast down three Fatal Pushes and four Path to Exile. Uh, that is a lot of spot removal in your control deck. Um, going a lot a uh, lot weaker on the counter spells than we see a lot of the time with just two Logic Knots and two Negates and uh, and three, three, three Cryptics, cryptics at the top yeah. end. Yeah, um, kind of interesting. Uh, Esper Charm is a is a is a card that uh does not see play very often because esper control doesn't see play very often but uh it's a uh, a divination or a mind rot instant speed and it's third uh secret forbidden mode uh will destroy an enchantment um which is relevant sometimes <laughs> it's irrelevant most of the time but when it is relevant it's usually backbreaking yeah definitely um you know just getting it off against um i don't know <laughs> the mono green ramp deck or something like that blowing up a uh <laughs> blowing up a uh what is that uh one mana you should know chris utopia sprawl. yeah your utopia sprawl like you can blow up a you know an umbra mm-hmm. in response to a coronet or something you can blow up um wilderness reclamation if someone's playing that deck um yeah. uh gets ley lines should uh should people be bringing those in though i don't know why they would be against you um if you're on the play game uh against eternity blood moon you can float the mana and use it to kill the blood moon yeah like, that's fair what a flexibility um usually it's uh it's a divination or a mind rot the uh, eternal question which mode do you use would i rather my opponent have less cards or me have more cards 
always a always a difficult one to think about when I've been playing this type of deck. <laughs> with Snapcaster Mage, maybe a little bit of both. A little column A, a little column B. Um, man, I am excited to see Esper back on top again. I've always really liked casting me some Esper charms. Um, the deck has always had a really interesting mana base, I feel like, though. Um, quite painful. Yeah. I mean, Esper Charm being an instant is um, pretty sweet, actually. Yeah. Uh, because in these types of control decks, oftentimes the games kind of drag on, you're one for winning your opponent a lot. And so if you're both making land drops, you eventually kind of run down low on cards. And so Esper Charm in their draw step can either shut down all the options for the turn or help refuel you after you've been sitting there one for winning forever. Mm-hmm. Yeah, with Snapcaster Mage, four copies in the deck, it... Uh... It really kind of blossoms in power as the game goes later too. Getting to you know chain charms into snap charm is very good at shutting the door on your opponent. So should you survive until the uh, the mid to late game, it's usually not hard to find an opportunity to close the door on your opponent. Um, and you've got um, quite a bit of utility in your planeswalkers at this point to do so. Um, Kaya, I, I'm interested why Kaya has been treating people so well. I mean, obviously it's uh, it's pretty decent against. Uh, against stuff like you know death shadow um and uh the plus ability is good against these graveyard decks although it's sorcery speed i'm i am a little surprised that it uh works so well yeah i mean it's it's always going to be relatively good against dredge i suppose Mm -hmm. Um, but i could see it getting overloaded potentially and then i i guess like the phoenix decks aren't necessarily always recurring their phoenixes the turn they they bend them so you might be able to tag some here and there, or mm-hmm. maybe like a faithless looting or something. Yeah, it does. It does kind of shut uh, off some potential card advantage and and snagging lootings out of the yard. Um, its ult is quite powerful as well, um, and it ults fairly quickly. It's a minus five. It looks like that's not so bad. So uh, I mean, I I guess if you th- think about it, like it's a planeswalker that you can sneak in before you really have to just hold the shields up for the rest of the game mm-hmm. and it will kill them. Yeah. So the problem with like these Jason to fairies are if you're just going to tap out for them on turns four or five, you relatively frequently just immediately lose, lose the game because of it. And so maybe Kaya, maybe Kaya being three mana is just good enough mm-hmm. to sneak her in before you're, uh, you know, just going to immediately die for doing so. I feel like if you, know. if you like, I guess the thing is that she's got much more utility, but a three mana planeswalker that really closes the door quickly is uh is Ashiok. <laughs> but uh her abilities are not nearly so relevant as Kaya's is the problem, although she does kill much quicker. Kind of. She's much better in uh limited. Yeah. Um but she's uh, pretty spooky. She ults pretty quick, which is uh is quite good. But uh but yeah. Kaya probably just a much more flexible card on the whole. Um, and she's got that new hotness, you know, angle that uh, people always like to play new cards. Um, I'm certainly interested in trying her out. It's always fun to try new angles, especially with control. Uh, and I think there was another Esper control player that did uh, well in another recent event. Um, I think they got sixth at some decent sized tournament with a, a somewhat similar list. I think they had another. I think they had only one Jace and two Kaya, and uh, their sideboard had. Uh, thief of sanity or something like that though they said the card wasn't very good so i think it was going to get cut <laughs> so uh esper control seeing a decent amount of success uh in the last few weeks 
And at GP Calgary week before last, we saw an even stranger deck come out on top. I've never even seen this deck before. Have you, Chris? With the old uh, Breach Titan deck? <laughs> Jund Breach Titan, though? Uh, it says Jund, but it, it has like three black cards in it. Yeah, and in a bunch the, of the free ones in the sideboard. <laughs> Don't actually usually cast those for black. <laughs> yeah, so in the main deck, it had a uh, single copy of Assassin's Trophy, two fail push, and... That's that. Yeah, that's all the black cards. Yeah, with one blood crypt and a swamp. It looks like so. Just dipping very slightly into the uh, into the black. I guess just trying to give themselves a little bit of breathing room against. Uh, I well, I guess probably against the Phoenix decks, right? Against Thing in the Ice. Yeah. So usually you'd see these kind of decks playing more copies of Lightning Bolt to kind of stay alive long enough to do the thing, but Lightning Bolt doesn't take care of thing in the ice or death shadow or you know those kinds of things so uh, i guess they just felt that fail push was the better one mana rule spell to keep yourself alive and with these types of decks bolting your opponent to get them in range of escape shift is usually not an issue they usually do that two damage for you to get themselves down to 18 yeah and uh, it gives you access to Slaughter Games in the sideboard, which is a card you would actually be casting. Oh, I missed those Slaughter Games. Yes, they do actually cast that. I was focused on the three Leyline of the Void and the one Ravenous Trap. But you're right, they do have two Slaughter Games, which can be uh, can be killer against some of the combo-oriented decks, or even even some of the fair decks that lean really heavily on specific cards, like uh, eh, potentially Phoenix. I'm not sure if that's where you really want to be, but um, definitely against uh, combo. The one engineering spells is the main deck is kind of interesting to me as well. I guess it's probably kind of like a more flexible third fatal push. Mm -hmm. A three mana fatal push. <laughs> Hits multiples though. Good against tokens. Um, means they don't have to play uh, Anger of the Gods or Sweltering Suns necessarily. And Explosives is very good against humans mm -hmm. as well. Uh, so you know I used to play a Breach Titan deck back in the day. Way it was back the, in the day, yeah. It was the first deck that was like reasonably competitive that I had after the banning of Silver Bloom and Splinter Twin. Yeah. <laughs> and that deck was a little bit different than this. Um, it was probably more spicy, I would say. Yeah, because it played summoning traps. <laughs> Man, that card was gross back when people were still playing uh, counter magic in much larger numbers. Yeah, because in those days, um, everyone who was playing Twin no longer had a Twin deck, but they still had all these cryptic commands and remands and spell snares and figured, well, I got to use these for something. And a lot of them pivoted into like Jeskai Control and that kind of a thing, mm -hmm. which led to a many a Sakura Tribe uh, Elder getting remanded slash uh, spell snared, <laughs> which trapped into some big scary thing. Yeah. Yeah, I definitely got bamboozled by that on more than one occasion. And uh, it never felt good. <laughs> um, but yeah, uh, so the thing about the Breach deck is that you really want to be playing Mountains all the time. Mm -hmm. You just don't want to be playing non-Mountains. So as you can see, there's only two forests in this deck mm -hmm. and one swamp. So there's only, other than Valakuts, there's only three non-Mountain lands in your deck. Which is 
right about you you know typical for mm-hmm. for the breach type variant and they've got the one prismatic omen to make things even easier not only for the uh the vol cutting but also for uh for making black mana should the need arise yeah and uh one scape shift in the main deck just the one sometimes you know through the breaches either don't have creatures or you're just really needing a, a top deck to to get them and playing through the breaches and you're in total top deck mode you kind of need two cards to to really pull the combo together but having one scape shift your deck means you have another oops i win spell mm-hmm. which is nice to have uh also interesting they're playing three fatal suitings i think we've been seeing this tech kind of picking up in the normal red green velika decks mm-hmm which to me was always kind of weird because I felt like the, those types of decks are very redundant and you needed a critical like mass of lands and ramp spells to actually do the thing on time. Mm-hmm. But I guess the thinking is, especially with flashback, you get to kind of turn your pretty mediocre ramp spells later in the game into your haymakers like Primeval Titan or, or Scapeshift. You know, your especially the the red green scape shift more traditional lists if you're drawing like your third basic forest that really isn't doing anything for you yeah or if you're I'd rather it be like a literally anything anything else if you're struggling to find removal or you just happen to draw all of your removal spells and don't need them it kind of lets you filter filter through i think i think more and more people are realizing the power of faithful looting and, and putting it into decks that didn't traditionally play it and i think a lot of people were kind of reluctant to play it because on its face it's it's card disadvantage unless you you know unless you flash it back and and but the thing is is the selection is just so important when the format's this fast right being able to to line yourself up properly against what your opponent's doing is uh is very key and uh faithless looting is just really good rate when it comes to comes to selection and i guess playing the the breach variant means you have more dead cards than the scape traditional scape shift mm-hmm. um if your hand has like multiple emeralds in it that's pretty poor so you can just ditch one of those or like you know, multiple copies of Through the Breach might not be very good either. It'd be pretty impressive if they had multiple copies of uh, Immercool, because they're uh, they're not playing it in this version, but they do have a Woodfall Primus. <laughs> Woodfall Primus is uh, a pretty sweet um, Breach. Yeah, holy shit. Breach guy. Oh, man. Come in there, blow up a land, probably. Smack him for six sacrifice and then persists back to blow up another thing and then just hangs around as a trampling five five for your triples yeah <laughs> it's pretty decent yeah definitely uh definitely a good haymaker and uh potentially castable trip green is not the easiest but not impossible either yeah i mean you have four some grounds and two center glades and if you do have your prismatic moments even easier mm-hmm. so triple green is not the end of the world but it is not as common as you might think for a card registering for deck registering the card scape shift mm-hmm. it's uh it's your fifth primeval titan <laughs> or something you don't along count some respects i guess yeah yeah it's your it's your eighth primeval titan <laughs> so uh yeah and then uh i think uh, other decks that did well at these tournaments are pretty pretty unremarkable death shadow showing up again in second place at the gp always Although just I, kind of pecking around the edges of the format i feel like if i remember correctly um i think the statistics on dredge for this event were very 
lopsided in the sense that the day two conversion rate was horrible. And like the day two like uh, representation of the meta was really, really low. Like something like less than five judge decks were in day two. Wow. That's and extremely one of low. them made top eight. Huh. I, I mean, don't quote me on the numbers, but I, I remember it being like, wow, that's that's not very much dredge at all in day two. I mean, we're seeing, I mean, this Jun Breach Titan deck that won is running three Leyline of the Voids and a Ravenous Trap in the sideboard. That's like a fair bit more than we used to see, at least. I don't know if it's still like super hateful, but it's definitely more hateful than it used to be as far as like you know, just Haymaker lights out Dredge Hate. And surgical Extraction is pretty beatable uh, with a lot of draws, um, but these cards can really just, you know, knock a uh, a Dredge player out of the game. Oh yeah, speaking of Surgically your opponent losing, <laughs> um, when I was playing the Rug Eternal Command deck, I surgicaled my Dredge opponent three times, and I lost that game. You win the match. Yeah. <laughs> my surgical amalgams and blood gas and faithless lootings and proceeded to just die to one conflagrate plus creeping chills yep as you do a creeping chill has given that deck a lot more reach than it used to have but uh leywine of the void and ravenous trap help with that a little bit <laughs> ravenous trap is just such a gotcha card uh, I feel like we haven't seen it really see any substantial play until the last few months, and suddenly it's everywhere. Been a long time. I mean, it popped up in Cybers before, back when Golgari Grave Troll was legal in the format, mm -hmm. like for that brief, what, six months or whatever it was. I saw it more frequently in, like, vintage sideboards when I was playing Vintage Dredge. <laughs> it's like a card you had to be aware of because people played it from time to time. Just wait till we uh, we see people playing Gixlid Jailer again, Chris. <laughs> mm. My friend was actually looking for one of those for his Bridgevine deck. Oh boy. Yeah, that's, uh, that's a doozy of a card that doesn't see much play. I don't think I've actually physically seen a copy of Gixlid Jailer in several years. <laughs> I don't even know what the art is. So. It's very strange. You'll see it once and you'll remember it forever. Guaranteed. They'll be like, yep, that's the excellent jailer. <laughs> but uh, I think we've kind of covered what we wanted to cover today. We've kind of touched on uh, what's to come, what's happened since we last chatted with you guys. I think we're going to wrap things up with our uh, slot of the week, talk about what cards we're super hyped about. Uh, I guess we'll start with you, so to speak, Chris. What's your uh, What are your plans <laughs> for the next few weeks here? Well, I imagine that I will not be playing any magic at all by the time uh, we have another episode, because I'm going far away across the, the big blue ocean to the island of Fiji, and I'll be there until we record again. So, yeah, <laughs> no magic was going to be had. <laughs> You'll probably find said trip. you'll find time to sneak in a few games of amulet before you leave or before we record again. I bet we'll see. Yeah, because I, I, I don't know how how uh, magical I'll be feeling on uh, the day I get back. Because do the the time difference and all, it's like you, you fly you. you fly back and then you land before you you took off. <laughs> 
yeah per se time like traveling. local time versus local time yeah yeah so i could theoretically go home and jam some online but uh that's a doozy yeah i might I might need some alcoholic uh, encouragement yeah, that's uh that's a great way to light some ticks on fire <laughs> Well, I would have more ticks to burn if bots this actually actually um, bought my treasure chest. God, it's so annoying. So, I had I had all these chests sitting around, and I was waiting to sell them for like the the buy list price for chests to increase because I just felt like a, like one point six ticks for chests was not very good value. Yeah, they were pretty bad historically speaking. So I wanted to wait till they were closer to two, and then when they got to like one point nine nine, I was like, all right, fine, I'll, I'll sell some. And just bots just like would buy like to five or ten and then just stop. Close up shop. <laughs> they just wouldn't buy them anymore from me. I was like, but I have like a hundred of these. Please take. Them. Like, no, no, t- ten is all we needed. <laughs> yeah, kind of, kind of sad. Perhaps you'll be playing more Magic than I, John. Do you have uh, any plans in store? Yeah, I think I'm gonna move back into playing uh, Blue Red Phoenix again, unless some sort of spicy pile catches my eye, which I will never uh, discount because it's pretty easy to convince me to play a pile. <laughs> uh, but uh, my salt of the week uh, is Flame Slash. Uh, it's a card I feel like I haven't played or seen played in a long time, and suddenly it's shown up a lot in uh, in Blue Red decks as a as a tool for the pseudo mirror. Uh, helps clean out opposing things in the ices, thongs of the ice, <laughs> thongs in the ice. <laughs> I don't even know, man. Pluralizing that one's a, a doozy. Things in the ice um, helps helps clear those out. Um, can get uh, wee sized tarmogoys from time to time. Uh, usually pretty decent against humans, even after they pump their guys a little bit um kills were to paradise dead yeah does not have the uh, drawback that roast does unlike roast yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the number of times where i've had a roast staring down some stupid flyers like too high yeah way too high and uh i was chatting with kevin and we were trying to think of any common flyers in the format that had more than four toughness and we struggled to think of any that were really relevant um so leader Dawnbringer. sure bane slayer angel yeah whatever that is that is all yeah okay whatever game is probably over if those resolve against you anyways I mean, you're not beacon, flashing, beacon bolt anyway. is your uh, is your out to that one <laughs> um cigarda host appearance yeah oh, can't roast that either Run, think flip your thing in the ice be gone <laughs> get out of here mrs angel you're not wanted here uh but yeah think in the ice uh uh gets stopped by flame slash so long as it doesn't flip and uh you know what else kills uh thing in the ice john hmm Twisted image. Yeah. Oof. Oof. <laughs> oof. We have an infect player at the store who has been playing, I think, two main deck Twisted Image, and man, I get bodied when I play against him. It is really hard because, like, Thing in the Ice's flip is your most effective answer to their uh, their creatures. So if they try to go all in, you could just you know send them back to the hand, reset them to, to the old time walk. But uh, man, uh, running him out not until turn three is uh pretty brutal um gotta gotta respect the uh the twisted image and uh not really getting anything going on the board until turn three is kind of a non-starter against infect i feel like so it's okay we don't have very many graveyard decks at fnm so i was playing a bunch of main deck gut shots so 
I'm gonna get you next time. <laughs> that good old main deck gut shot infects greatest weakness. <laughs> God, gut shot's like a pretty obnoxious card. Yeah. I guess pretty much all the Phyrexian mana cards are. Yeah, they're they're all pretty egregious. With Noxus Revival probably being the least egregious. I think Surgical Extraction is simultaneously the worst offender, but also, like, the least egregious, I guess, <laughs> if that makes sense. I feel like Surgical Extraction is the most misplayed yeah, it's like, Phyrexian card. It's the most played sideboard card in Legacy by, I think, a pretty wide margin, which is interesting. Uh, and it sees a ton of play in modern as well um and obviously the card has an extremely warping effect on on the formats it's in just because its existence like really punishes people who are trying to do these kinds of things and it's a very effective answer for the low low cost of free to life but um it's also like is this like i feel like if if surgical extraction wasn't stopping busted stuff from happening it would be a, a very offensive card to have exist right like a, a zero mana instant speed hoser <laughs> like that's that's absurd right like yeah but it's like the things that it's hosing are like the turn one or turn two grizzle brands yeah it's they're like right. even more egregious right it's like the the villain you know so i think i think surgical extraction gets a huge like hall pass just because of the stuff it's policing is like so busted itself <laughs> but when you really think about it the card is like completely berserk and like a, definitely a gigantic mistake in a lot of ways <laughs> but i don't know extirpate is only a mana so and it's got split second <laughs> but being a mana is like the difference between being widely played and basically un unplayable yeah <laughs> right like other than dedicated mill decks, when's the last time you've seen someone register or cast the card extra bait? Never. <laughs> yeah. I think the only other place I've seen it is like original Ravnica standard decks. <laughs> I think they I think people were playing it back then. It was like Time Spiral Ravnica standard, I think it saw some play. In boards. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> card is uh not the best just because it costs one mana so yeah Phyrexian mana yeah like they can't interact with it but yeah. it costs a mana so Phyrexian mana was just a gigantic mistake in a lot of ways <laughs> what a mistake mutagenic growth another offender <laughs> but it's uh yeah pretty weak effect so it gets a pass we won't even talk about mental mistake oh my god what a card yeah but uh, I think that kind of wraps us up for the week as we complain bitterly about uh, Frexy and Mana. Uh, thank you for checking us out and sticking around to the very end. If you're wondering where you can find more of our content, you can head over to our website, mtgconflux.com. You can support us and join the MTG Conflux community at patreon.com slash mtgconflux. Uh, donors get access to our community discord for the low, low price of $1 a month. You can also find us on Facebook, Twitter, and YouTube under the same name. If you have any suggestions or comments that you'd like us to read, please feel free to shoot us a message on one of those platforms. Again, we really do appreciate you sticking around, and we hope you'll join us in the next one. Later. <laughs>